You're listening to the Banner Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. For more information, visit us online at thebanner.com. Today is Mother's Day, and we want to acknowledge all the women we're blessed to know. We rejoice over you for your strength, your wisdom, your strong love, and your beautiful faith. Whether today is a celebration for you or a day of quiet reflection and healing, we're thinking of all of you. If you gave birth this year to your first child, our joy overflows and we celebrate with you. If you adopted a child this year or became a foster parent, we rejoice with you and we want to honor you in your commitment to changing the lives of children. If you continue to struggle with infertility, we are hoping with you and holding your hand in prayer. If you are exhausted and feeling underappreciated for all you do for a house full of kids, we applaud you, we love you, and we appreciate you more than you can ever imagine. And if you lost a child this year to death or miscarriage, we weep and mourn with you. And if your child is lost to addiction or to the world, we hurt with you and we join you in putting our hope in the one who brings prodigals home. If you live with painful memories of your mom, we pray that you will find in a spiritual mother all that you never had from a birth mom. And if you're one of those amazing spiritual moms, we thank you for stepping up and being there when others couldn't. If you're experiencing an empty nest for the first time this year, we walk with you in this new season and are excited about the next chapter God has planned for you. If you're single, we celebrate your strength, beauty, and individuality and join with you in praying for the desires of your heart. If you're a single mom and wonder if you have the physical energy and financial resources to raise and provide for your child or children, we want to help you, and we will. And if you're pregnant for the first time, we prayerfully anticipate with you the joyful birth of a healthy child. And to all the special women on this Mother's Day, rest and delight in knowing that we are thankful for you, and we celebrate each and every one of you. Well, welcome to Banner Church. I want to say a special welcome to all the moms here watching online, moms, grandmas, spiritual mothers, someone who is a mother to someone in any way, shape, and form. We're so excited you can join us on this special day wherever you're at. We love you. We're so thankful for you. And I know for, for some, this is just an awesome day of celebrating and joy and uh, as a mom or grandma, you're just, you love all your grandkids and all your kids. And I know for some, it's a, a more difficult day where you're struggling and maybe mourning. But I really believe like today, we're going to celebrate some great things that will encourage you kind of no matter where you are. So I just, I want to encourage you as, as you're watching and continue to watch as uh, we, we read from the word together this morning. I want to encourage you to just take a break, to rest, to breathe. If you got kids, just tell somebody else to watch them for a little bit and just be renewed and restored because I believe the message is going to speak to you today wherever you are at. And we're talking about love this morning. Turn to somebody in your apartment. Maybe there's nobody in your apartment, just your dog. Turn to your dog, whoever, and just say the word love. 
and we're going to jump in today. Moms, we, we, we love you. I was, I was thinking about my mom this week. Um, my, my mom is not a very tall, not a very, like, statuesque person. She, she's small. She's sweet. She's kind. She's quiet. Uh, but my mom is, like, is, she just has this, like, sixth sense, like, ability to know what is going on when she's not there. And I'll, I'll tell you an example. One time uh, we were playing soccer after school, and at the school I was at, we played in the parking lot because they would close down on the fields because they didn't want us, I don't know, to have fun. I don't know, whatever. And so we'd play in the parking lot. And it was always, like, middle school kids, and then there was, like, some high school kids. And the high schoolers would always play us, and they would always beat us. And it was kind of the way things went. You got to pay your dues. And so uh, I was a middle school kid. I was playing these high school kids. And there was this kid who was really good at dishing it out with his words, but not good at taking it, whether it be physically or his words. Like, I don't know if you know that person. You're like, I don't know anybody like that. Well, I have bad news for you. Um, but he was so good at dishing it out, dishing out, talk, 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 talk. And finally, like me, not, not great at soccer. I am not messy or anything. I just, you know, could dribble. I don't know. I'm this basic kid from Seattle. And uh, I dribbled, and I, you know, I, I nutmegged him, which means I passed it between his legs and went around him. And I may or may not have said something. I don't remember. And I have the microphone, so let's just say I didn't say anything. And, uh, and when I got by, he came up and tackled me. Remember, we're in a parking lot. Tackled me and then picked up the ball. And there's kind of that, that kid that always, like, takes the ball, and that's how they're going to punish you is, like, I have the ball. You can't have it. I'm going to take it. And I was little, and I was small, and I was short, and I was tiny, so, of course, I couldn't take it. And so I yelled something on the lines of, hey, give me the ball. And he runs over, and kind of this, like, 1950s basketball pass just throws it right into my face. And um, as a small middle schooler who was just smashed in the face, I, I had been hit in the face that many times in middle school, and so I wasn't really prepared for getting hit in the face. And when I got hit in the face, I didn't come out of it like a fighter. I was kind of more like, and I could just feel my nose was like back up into my brain. And so I was stunned, and I didn't know what to do, and he was coming towards me. And then, like, like Dr. Strange coming out of another universe, my mom just, like, stepped into the picture. Had never seen her this moment. She's just like, like, steps through this portal, somehow steps and just grabs him by the back of the shirt. I don't know where she came from. She was, like, in a mist, and then just, like, came out, and, and she grabs him by the back of his shirt, and she just, she says one word, one word, and, and it was so powerful. She says, nope, and just grabs him by the back and just starts carrying him to the office, like in one soup, just through the portal, nope, and starts carrying him, and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm I guess I'm following. I guess we're all going together. <laughs> like, she doesn't say anything to me and just takes him and is like, we're going to the office. And all my buddies are like, oh, my, like, where did she come from? Like that moment you all realize that your moms are secret super ninjas that are just hiding in the back of the room and then, like, come forward. And they're like, what are you saying? What are you watching? Right? She just steps out, grabs him, takes him. And it was so fierce. She's like five, six, maybe on a good day. And she comes out and just takes this high school boy and just, nope, takes him out to the office. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, now I know why nobody is afraid of the papa bear and everyone's afraid of the mama bear, right? Like when you go hiking and you see baby bears, it's not like, oh, look at those baby bears. Oh my goodness. There might be a papa bear around. No, papa bear's asleep. You're like, there might be a 
mama bear around, right? Mama bear is who's going to see you from like a mile and a half away just looking at her kids and run at like 45 miles an hour and just, you know, revenant. And that, that's the mama bear. They're, they're fierce. Moms are fierce. And moms are, are, they have this like fierce, intense power to them. You know, there's kind of like the, the, the story of, you know, the adrenaline and lifting the car off their kids. And I love that about moms is that moms have this fierce love. Like moms fight for their kids. Moms should fight for their kids. And I think motherhood could come in many forms. Motherhood could come uh, from birthing a child. It can come from adoption. It could come from being a, a spiritual mother, a guiding figure in life, a lot of different ways. But motherhood is this really beautiful and powerful kind of love because mothers contend for those who they love. What does the word contend mean? Contend means, means to fight for, to suffer for, to sacrifice for, to endure for, to struggle for, to intercede for, right? To contend, to fight for somebody, to be a contender, to fight, to encourage, to strengthen, to lift up, to be there, to sacrifice for. And I think one of the reasons that it is such uh, an exemplary form of love and such an example for everybody. You could be a 45-year-old male watching this, have never known your mother, and yet this kind of love I'm going to share with you today is still exemplary for the reason that the world is infinitely selfish. The world is infinitely concerned about itself and self-focused and self-interested and concerned about what about me, what about my needs, what about what I'm thinking about. And so when we see the love of a mother modeled like that, we see selflessness. We see a sacrificial love. We see a fierce love. We see an enduring love. And we're like, man, that's amazing. But why is it amazing? It's amazing because that is the love of Jesus Christ. See, Motherly love is a reflection of the love of Jesus Christ. And so it's an example for everyone, not just for mothers, but for every person. One of, I think, the, the most poetic and brutal and interesting examples of motherly love, and you probably can know it off the top of your head. You know who I'm going to talk about. Let's all say it together. One, two, three, Rizpa. Ten bucks, you said Mary. I don't know where you're watching from but you said Mary, and you just need to own it. Type in the comments, I said Mary, and I own it, and we'll all be on the same page. This is church, you got to be honest. So, Rizpa, you're like, Rizpa? That's not a real person. Text your friend, and just text them the word Rizpa, no explanation. And then when they text you back, what is a Rizpa? You say, you're going to have to watch the sermon. I'm just going to share the feed with you. And then they're going to come on, they're going to get, you know, redeemed and restored, and all these good things. But Rizpah is an amazing figure in the Bible, so I want you to open up, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 21. If you don't have your Bible, there's a tab if you're watching with us on our live streaming. Uh, the, also, you can just go, just type Bible into Google, trust me, you'll find it. And it's 2 Samuel 21, but we're going to look at Rizpah and, and just a brief shadow, brief portion of her life here. Uh, Rizpah's life isn't the happiest story in the Bible, but it still encourages us. Rizpah, just context, is a former concubine of Saul. Concubines were women who were married. Uh, wives were married for, like, power and prestige and political power. Concubines were married uh, for their looks or because they were desired or, I don't know, because the king, it was a Tuesday and he wanted this person. And so 
Uh, Saul was dead. Saul was the king of Israel before David. Saul had died, and now David was, was starting to become king. He was king of Judah. He was starting to become king of Israel. And so Rizpah's in this really unique dynamic because um, she was a concubine of the former king, and she had sons. So there's like a whole mix of things happening. And there's, a, there's just a massive famine, famine happening in the land. And when I say massive famine, I don't mean like uh, food scarcity or not enough toilet paper or nothing on the shelves. I mean like nothing in the ground. And so that's what we're picking up, this former concubine of a dead king in 2 Samuel 21. It says this, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, There is blood guilt on Saul and on his house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. So the king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now the Gibeonites were not of the people of Israel, but a remnant of the Amorites. Although the people of Israel had sworn to spare them, Saul had sought to strike them down in his zeal for the people of Israel and Judah. Okay. Let me give some context here on who the Gibeonites are. When the people of Israel came into the land, the promised land, they were told by God to get rid of all the people that were in the promised land previously. Mostly because they worshipped terrible, terrible pagan idols that included things like ritual prostitution, uh, throwing children into fires, murdering children, doing other terrible things to children. And so the, the people of Israel were not to inherit that uh, culture. They were to follow God. But there was a people, the Amorites, and they got smart, and they pretended to be from some faraway land, and they came to Israel, and they said, they, they got all their dirty clothes. They said, we've been traveling forever. Uh, would you make a pact with us? Because we heard you're powerful, that you will not kill us. Make a covenant with us that you're not going to kill us. And so Israel said, okay, you seem like you're not from around here, and since that makes you not part of this list, we got to get rid of. So yeah, you're fine. We'll make a covenant with you. Uh, then they found out, obviously, that was a lie, and it was a trick. And so the, the, those people who became the Gibeonites became slaves in Israel and servants in Israel. And Saul was overtly zealous. And so Saul, in his zealous nature, decided, I'm going to kill all these people, and he began wiping them out. So the people that, that they're going to, and David goes to right now, are the remnant, the people that survived this kind of like, an ethnic purge that Saul tried to do. And so here's what happens. Verse 3. It says, And David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And how shall I make atonement, that you may bless the heritage of the Lord? It says, The Gibeonites said to him, It's not a matter of silver and gold between us and Saul or his house. Neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. And he, meaning David, said to them, what do you say that I shall do for you? They said to the king, the man who consumed us and planned to destroy us so that we should have no place at all in the territory of Israel, let seven of his sons be given to us that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul and chosen of the Lord. And the king said, I will give them. Okay, this is kind of interesting because this isn't really how modern law works. Like if you go out and kill seven people, they can't then come and kill seven of your family. That just like wouldn't go well. Uh, this kind of retribution law. But in ancient world, the principle of a family's common responsibility was still held. 
And it was commonly held. So what you did as an individual had consequences on your family. And in fact, in Jewish law, there was a principle of an eye for an eye. There was literally this retribution-type principle that existed. So if someone takes a life in your family, you can take their life unless they get to a, a sanctuary. These kind of things existed in the law, and which is why I'm very thankful that when Jesus came, he said, it's not eye for an eye. In fact, if someone strikes you, turn the other cheek. And in fact, once they do that, give them your jacket and your clothes and then encourage them on their way. But at the time, this principle really existed. And so they said, rather than wiping out as many people, we just want seven of Saul's sons. And so here's what happens. It says, the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Saul's son, Jonathan, because the oath of the Lord was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. It says, the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, remember Rizpah, whom she bore to Saul, Ar Armoni and Mephibosheth. And you might be thinking, is that the same person? No, it's just such a great name that multiple people chose it. It says, and the five sons of Merib, the daughter of Saul, whom she bore to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, man, I even got the pronunciation for that as close as I could, but, you know, the Mahoathite, close enough, and he gave them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the mountain before the Lord, and the seven of them perished together. They were put to death in the first days of the harvest at the beginning of the barley harvest. So this would be like March, April. It says, verse 10, then Rizpah, great name, maybe a name for your daughter if you're having a girl, then Rizpah, the daughter of Ai took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock. From the beginning of harvest until rain fell upon them from the heavens. And it says, and she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beasts of the field by night. And it says, verse 11, when David was told what Rizpah, the daughter uh, of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done, David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of his son Jonathan from the men of Jabeth Gilead, who stole them from the public square at Beth Shan. And it says that he took them and he buried them with uh, the bones of Saul and Jonathan in a proper place of honor. Okay, you're like, this is the weirdest intro to a Mother's Day. Like, like Pastor, you can't pick a Mother's Day sermon where the kids die. Like, well, I, I know. But it's important because this is a brutal circumstance where the two sons are taken, they're ritually killed, they're displayed in the open. But the love that is expressed here is the most exemplary Christ-like love, right? Here are these two sons that are taken, not just for justice, but for for punishment, they're displayed on the open, and as difficult as the, the circumstance or the situation is, we get this beautiful picture of a mother's love. And we see how clearly the love of Rispa for her children reflects the love of Jesus for his children. So what's this beautiful, powerful love that I'm talking about here? What's his example of Christ? Okay, well, let's look at it together in verse 10. What kind of love are we looking at? What does this scripture say about love? Verse 10, love is selfless. Love is selfless. Verse 10 says, Rizpah, the daughter, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock. Think about this. Rizpah is a concubine of Saul, meaning she was used to palace life. This is not some pauper. This is not someone wandering the streets. This is someone who is wealthy and comfortable and taken care of and good-looking and technically successful. I mean, she had reached the upper echelons of this society. This is somebody who was comfortable. 
But what's amazing is no one would have blamed her if her sons were taken and murdered, if she had remained in mourning in the comfortable place. They would have said, hey, take that rest, take that time. But what does she do? She takes sackcloth and she lays it on these rocks open to the elements. She took the position of a beggar. She went from the height of riches into the dirt to be with her children. I think about that. Here's this woman who went basically from the penthouse to the poorhouse to the street to the dirt, not even to the dirt, outside the city where they kill people, where they murder people. From the top all the way to sacrifice her own comfort for the sake of her children. That's love. Moms, man, moms give up their bodies, they give up their schedules, they give up their sleep, their dreams, their goals, their alone time, their physical health, their own safety, their sanity. Moms even give up their bathroom time. There have been times my wife I know is in there like, like just texting me like, oh my gosh, these kids, and like underneath the door, moms, you know what I'm talking about, their little fingers slide under, and they're like, are you in there? Are you in there? Like, you know I'm in here. There's only three of us in the house, and you saw me go in here. They're like, ma, 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 under the door. And you're just like, Jesus, Jesus be with me. Right? Moms sacrifice everything, all of their comfort for the sake of their kids. Moms are selfless. My wife loves to say, and she is so spot on, she's like, I never realized how selfish I was till I had a kid. See, I don't think my wife was ever a selfish person. She was a very gracious person. But I understand what she means is a kid will remind you how much you want to make your own schedule, do your own things, go where you want to go, say what you want to say, be out whenever you want to get out. And the kid's like, nope, nothing's alone time. <laughs> I'm with you always, right? That is a mother's love. It is selfless. Rizpa stepped out of luxury to put her life on the line to sit on sackcloth, to sit next to death and brokenness and scorn and shame for the sake of her kids, that's the heart of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2.3 says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be a thing grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the, likeliness, or the likeness of men. Jesus stepped down from glory to dirt, from heaven to dust, from perfection, from no pain to pain, brokenness all around, Everything he could face. He, he stepped down into it to be with us. He stepped down into the brutality and the brokenness of this world. And he did it because he loves us, because he is selfless, because of how much he loves us. He came to lay down his life, his security, his safety, his time, his comfort, and himself for us. Because that is the heart of Christ. Why? Because Christ has a love that contends for his children because his love love is selfless. Look at uh, 2 Samuel 21.10. It says, she took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock. And it says, from the beginning of the harvest until the rain fell upon them from the heavens. Not only is love selfless, but love is enduring. It says, from, from the beginning of the harvest until the rain fell. That would be like March and April-ish to September, October, 
That's six months. Think about that. You think at month one, that would have been like, how many more months is this going to happen? Six months. This is not six days. This is not six weeks. This is six months. Six months of watching over dead bodies, of laying on rocks. Six months meaning all the summer months. I want you to just picture for a second going out and putting uh, like a coffee bag, some sackcloth, out on a rock here in Arizona and just living there for six months. You're like, that's crazy. That's motherhood. That's the kind of level of enduring that she had. Sometimes we use the word for endurance, a long suffering. And I think that's so spot on. She didn't give up in suffering. And I think if we were to ask the question, how long would she have stayed out there? I think maybe until she died. Because she was enduring, formerly of the palace, no more rich clothes, no more rich food, probably barely any food, probably starving. Not only that, here she is near death, near shame, living alone for months and months. Do you think that she suffered some scorn and shame? Do you think people had some things to say about her? Do you think she cared? She was willing to endure for the sake of her children. See, that's powerful that she endured this, this brutality, the pain, the scorn, and the shame, because I think that reflects Jesus Christ to us. Jesus endured the cross. Jesus endured the scourge of shame and sin upon himself, though he was perfect. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Get this part. Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured, remember, love endures, says, before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. See, Jesus endured the cross because he loves you. He was not forced. He was not coerced. It's because he loves you. He bore our sin and our shame, every brutal piece. He could have come off the cross and been like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I'm God. I'm out of here. But he didn't. He endured the cross. He endured the sin and the shame. He endured everything taken upon himself because he loves us, because love is enduring. Look what it says next in 2 Samuel. It says in the same verse 10, And she did not allow the birds of the air to come upon them by day or the beasts of the field by night. I want you to just think about this. Exposing these bodies was an act of shame. It was meant to expose them to the elements and expose them to animals. So as they were torn apart, it would mean more shame for them. A desecrated body is a shamed body. It was to shame her children. So instead, Rizpah goes out on the rocks and is fighting away, literally fighting away vultures and beasts. And at night, I can tell you, there, there are some animals coming up on this place at night, fighting away, fighting away the things that would come to shame the body. See, Rizba is not only enduring the element, she's battling what would come to tear apart her children and shame them. That is motherhood. Motherhood is getting out and fighting for your children against the things of the world that would come to shame them and tear their life apart. Mothers contend against those things. Why? Because love is selfless. Love is enduring. But love is fierce. Love is not all fluffy clouds and rainbows. 
It is not a junk drawer of good feelings that we're like, everything that's like pink, fluffy, rainbow, we're just going to dump in. Love is also powerful. Love is also fierce. Love is also strength. Love is a widowed mother on a hill, on a rock, totally alone, totally shamed, in the middle of a night with Lord knows what, fighting away wolves that would come to shame her children. That's love. Love is fierce. That's motherhood. There are things that would try to come against your children. Moms, there's things that, are, that try to come against your children to, to shame them, to destroy their innocence, to destroy their future. And yet as a mom, you fiercely love and so you fiercely contend, right? You, you hide in that bathroom just for 10 minutes just so you can pray for them because even though they're driving you crazy and if you have to clean yogurt out of another couch cushion, so help you, they're not going to make it to the third grade, but you're in there praying because you believe for their future and you believe what God has called them to because you fiercely contend for your children. That is Jesus. Jesus did not come just for hugs. He came for a fierce love. He came to not just walk around and say nice things. We're like, oh my gosh, Jesus, that's so great. He came to be fierce, right? He came to pray over people, sit with them, defend them, stand up for them, welcome. He came to care and intercede for lepers, people that nobody would touch. That is a fierce love to walk up to somebody who's got COVID and just shake their hand and then run it over, maybe cough into it, bless them. What it, like Jesus is fierce. He came to heal the sick. He came to take care of the people no one wanted. He came to ruffle feathers. He came to shake up racial injustice. He came to do everything Fiercely, because love is not just fluffy, it's fierce. And he went to the cross to bear our sin and shame, to take the scourge of sin. And he went to the grave and he rose again. Why? Because love is fierce. The love of Jesus is fierce. It contends for you. It fights for you. It fights for his children. And the amazing thing is because love is selfless, and because love is enduring, and because love is fierce, most importantly, love is victorious. I love the end of this story because in verse 13 it says, and, and David brought up the bones of Saul and Jonathan, who had been at one point taken and displayed in the same way in another city, and, and some men had gone and, and taken the bones down because they knew that it was such an injustice, and they brought the bones in, and and so David takes those bones and the bones of these kids, and, and, and he takes them uh, to a grave, and they're given an honorable burial. I think we're like, I don't know if that's worth it. That, would, that was a huge deal then, to be honored in the way that your body was taken care of and you were buried. Think about that. Because her love was selfless, because her love was enduring, and because her love was fierce, Rizpah is victorious. Her children receive honor. It's beautiful, it's raw, it's difficult, it's, it's powerful, it's poetic. It's just, it's motherhood. But most importantly, it's the heart of Christ. Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave. He is victorious. His love is victorious. 1 Corinthians 15, 56 says this. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear that again, but thanks be to God who gives us 
the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. Through Rizpah's sacrificial contending love for her children, her kids receive victory and honor. Through Jesus' sacrificial love for God's children, we receive victory and honor, not by our strength, but because of how deeply he loves us. We are dead. We are like dead ones hanging in sin and shame. And Jesus comes and contends against the the wild and brutal and deathly sin that would come against us so that we might receive a crown of glory. See, when love is selfless, enduring, and fierce, it will be victorious. See, I love reading about Rizpah, even though it it could be a, a sad story because this powerful love of Jesus, this powerful love of Rizpah is not just um, contained to mothers. It is a reflection for us. It's like many ways when, when I see the way a mom loves her child, it's like how the moon uh, is reflecting the sun. It's reflecting a source of glory, and we're receiving that light and seeing that light. And some of you may maybe have only seen a sliver, and some of you maybe you've seen the whole thing, but I think there's a beauty here when it comes to the love of Jesus because it's not only just a call to moms, it's a call to all of us. And here's the call. It's a call to be selfless. Today, you have a call to be selfless, to reflect a love that's selfless. You have a call to step out of comfort and suffer for others. You have a call to get out of your palace and get into the dirt. You have a call to get into the dirt of people's lives. Uh, Did you ever see the movie The Passion? Well, The Passion is is a church term. It's It's a Bible term. It's a term about... Uh, Christ and what he suffered. Passion means to suffer. Compassion, to suffer with or to suffer for with someone. Right? The idea of compassion is not like, oh, I Facebook, you know, let's hit that hashtag. That's not compassion. That's, I don't know. Compassion is to suffer with, to suffer for. John 15, 12 says, this is my commandment. This is Jesus talking. That you love one another as I have loved you. That sounds nice, Jesus. Well, what did Jesus do for us? Oh, wait, he died for us. As I, and you're like, wait, I don't know if I want to do that. But then he hits you with verse 13. Greater love has none than this, that someone laid down his life for his friend. Get this, since we have received his love, we are called to a selfless love. If you want to live in the victory of his love, then the love has to be selfless. Second thing, call to endure. Can I tell you, don't give up contending for the people around you. Mothers, don't give up contending for your children that have walked away from Jesus Christ. Friends, don't give up contending for your friends. Family, don't give up contending for your family. Single people, don't give up contending for your spouse who's yet to come someday. Don't give up contending for people. I get it. People are messy. Trust me. We could trade stories. People are messy. People are dirty. People do things you do not expect. I get it, but we're called to contend for those around us because if we want to live in the victory of the love, then we have to endure in love. Galatians 6, 9 says this. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Endure in love for the people around you. It's a call to be selfless. It's a call to endure. And you probably know this. It's a call to be fierce. 
We need to fight the good fight. I love Ephesians 6, 12. It says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Can I tell you, God is looking for a generation of people that will be like Rizba and say, you know what? Even though things and tragedy have befallen this generation of people, I'm not just going to hide up in my palace. I'm gonna, and even though I have the privilege to do so, I'm going to step down into the dirt and I'm going to take whatever. I don't know if she had like a towel or a stick and just be fighting away the things that would come against the next generation, the things that would come to tear them apart, the things that would come to shame them. It's not enough to sit up in a tower of privilege and just type out a little Facebook jab at millennials or a jab at Gen Z. How about we get down in the dirt? Like I know so many, I talk to so many amazing people who are like, man, I I don't hate on the next generation. I'm down there right with them, fighting away the things that would come against them. And when that wolf comes to take that life and drag it to hell, I'm like, you know what? Not today. I I can't stop what tragedy has befallen, but I'm fighting the things that would come against because there is a call to be fierce. There is a call to be fierce in prayer. Church, it's not not a time for lazy, weak prayer. It is a time for fierce intercession prayer that says we will not let pornography rule. We will not let depression rule. We will not let brokenness rule. We will not let fatherlessness rule. We will not let all of these things rule, anxiety rule. Instead, we will fight them away like the vultures that have come to pick off the generation and say, in our prayer, we will intercede because love is fierce. If you want to live in the victory of love, then you have to fight with a fierce love. It's time to intercede in prayer. It's time to stand in the gap for the next generation. It's time to stand next to a mom and say, listen, I'm here for you and your kids. I'm here with you. It's time to open our eyes. Who in our neighborhood needs our help? We need more families to gather. And what that takes is every person at Banner Church to intercede fiercely for the families in our city. Third and final thing, or fourth and final thing, I'm sorry. It's a call to victory. I love this because when people experience the love of Christ, everything changes. The love of Jesus changes everything. If we selfless, selfish, wow, whoo, selflessly, wow, selflessly, there we go, and enduringly and fiercely reflect the love of Christ, and we will walk in the victory through him. I love Romans 8, 37. It says, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, the love of Jesus is victorious in our lives and through our lives. When we reflect the love of Jesus Christ, when we are selfless, when we're enduring, and we fiercely intercede and contend for the next generation. And I love Rizba. She's walking in this, this reflection in this almost metaphoric model of the love of Christ where her children receive this uh, crown of honor, so to speak. And for all of us uh, who, who believe in Jesus Christ and make that decision, maybe for the first time today you've never made that decision, when you make that decision, what you do is you substitute this crown of sorrow for a crown of glory. What you substitute is instead of shame and death, you substitute with honor. See, God is making this exchange happen because of his love. And that's the heart of motherhood and the heart of Christ is living in the victory of love because we endure and we contend and we fight for love. And I want to ask you a question today. Do I want to live 
do I want to see my city live? Do I want to see my family live in the victory of love? Then my challenge to you is make the commitment to reflect the love of Jesus Christ that was displayed in Rizpah. Two things as we close. Moms, I want to say that we support you, that we stand with you, that we commit to loving and contending for your kids. As somebody with kids, we commit to contending for your children. We want to support you selflessly. We want to walk with you enduringly, and we want to intercede for your children fiercely. And so I want us together, wherever you're watching Banner Church, maybe uh, you don't call Scottsdale, Arizona your home, but you call Banner Church your home. I want to encourage you that together I want to pray and let's make a commitment today that we will be a church that contends in love for the next generation. And I want to pray for you. Wherever you are, would you bow your head with me? We're going to make a commitment together that we're going to contend in love for others. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to call them. I'm going to hit them up. Maybe, maybe they're not kids. Maybe just a friend. You're like, man, I'm, I'm always that person that's waiting for someone to invite me to something or call me or, or see how I'm doing. But you know what? I'm done with that. I'm going to be the person that's walking in the victory of love. So I'm going to be the kind of person that contends in love for others. I'm shaking off the, the shackles of, uh, of having somebody else before me. I'm going to be for someone else. And as I do that, I know God's going to honor that and bring people to contend for me. So we're going to pray together and make a commitment. I pray, dear Jesus, you see every heart and every mind. You see every person watching from all around. You see every mom, and we're so thankful for every mom who's joined us. We're so thankful for every grandma. We're so thankful for every spiritual mother. We're so thankful for every adoptive mother, God. We're so thankful for the moms that so clearly reflect and model the love of Jesus. And God, I pray for every one of those moms who has maybe felt that struggle, who's maybe felt just feeling maybe even condemnation or not feeling like they've measured up or did measure up in their past. God, I pray just that you would affirm them in this moment, affirm how much you love them, how deeply and greatly and how mighty your love is for them. And God, I pray in this moment just a strength upon their spirit and their heart and their mind. And God, as Banner Church, we make a commitment together that we will be the kind of church that models this love that Rizpah has shown in Scripture that is the love of Jesus Christ, a love that is selfless. God, may we be selfless. May we be focused on others before ourselves. God, a love that is enduring. God, may we be the kind of people that do not give up and do not quit on people because they're messy, but endure faithfully, even in struggle and, and trial and difficulty. And God, may we have love that is fierce. May we be a, a people, we commit to being a people that intercedes in the name of Jesus over specifically this next generation and over the people in the body and over the people in this city or wherever city you're watching, God. I pray that we would be a people who fiercely love. And, God, we pray the victory of the love of Jesus. We pray for life transformation. We pray for restoration. We pray for encouragement. We pray for empowerment. And we pray for freedom, God, and that today would be a day we're committed together. We stand in unity and say, God, we commit to reflecting your love in this city. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to pray one more thing as we're contending together. And um, I don't know where you are spiritually in your journey, but every Mother's Day, we just like to take a moment and pray that God would do a miracle for all those moms who are seeking and desire to birth children. 
and maybe you're a mom and, and this this service, this day, everything about it is hard because you have lost a child or are unable to have a child. And I want to pray today. We're in a hope and healing series, and I believe Jesus can do a miracle in your life. So I want to pray a miracle over you right now in this moment as we close. Wherever you are, every mom, everyone desiring to be a mother, everyone who's maybe given up hope, because the doctors have said that nothing's going to happen. We're going to pray a miracle. God is greater than every diagnosis. So I just invite you, wherever you are, if that's you, to just lay your hand over your heart. And if any moment you want to jump into live prayer, click that link. But I want to pray for you, and we're going to believe that God's going to do a miracle. Holy Spirit, you see every one of these women. You see their desire for motherhood. And God, I pray right now by the power of the Holy Spirit for a miracle in the life of every woman gathered here who desires to have children. I pray for a restoration of hope. I pray for a restoration of spirit. And most importantly, I pray internally in the body that there would be a miracle birthed in the name of Jesus right now in every body and every person. We speak to every cell that it would come into alignment. We speak to every organ that it would come into alignment. We speak to every piece and part of the formula, God, that might not even be known, but we know, God, that you know because your ways are greater than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And so, God, you know. And so we pray over every mom in the name of Jesus, God. As we prepare to sing and we, pre we prepare to worship, we pray over this next generation that's going to be born miraculously in the name of Jesus, we pray over the testimony that's going to be shared. And I pray right now in the name of Jesus, today, a miracle. Today, a miracle in the name of Jesus over your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a moment. Let's worship together this morning and declare just a blessing over this next generation. <laughs>